soul. We believe you are God and in control. Welcome to the Worship Generation Radio Ministry with Pastor Joey Bram, a ministry of Worship Generation Church located in Fountain Valley, California. For more information, please visit us at www.worshipgeneration.com. We believe in the power of the gospel. We believe you can transform every soul. We believe you're the Savior. Now let's join Pastor Joey as we study through the Bible. Let the nations be glad, all his saints rejoice. The word Genesis means uh, beginning, so it's the book of beginnings, and it's the account of our universe from the Holy Spirit through the living word of God to humanity. This is the book of beginnings. It's generally ascribed to Moses being the recipient of the inspired text and preserving the text because God gave him the law of God and giving him the law, this record's put together. These five books are known collectively, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, as the Pentateuch or the law, the five books of Moses, and then you get Joshua comes after that, considered the historical book. So these five books are noted in the overall historical books that have all the history before you get to the poetic books and then the prophets. These particular five are called the Pentateuch or the law, and this particular one, of course, is Genesis, and it's the book of beginning. So as we come to Genesis tonight, we read the first five verses. So let's look at these. And then there's a couple other verses we're going to look at, and then we'll, we'll survey part of the chapter as well. So this is the history of creation, and this is what we're told. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was on the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. Then God said, let there be light, and there was light, and God saw the light, that it was good. And God divided the light from the darkness. God called the light day and the darkness he called night. So the evening and the morning were the first day. In surveying, we know that there's six days of creation. And the first distinction was light and darkness on the first day of creation. And there's morning and night. So evening and morning. So these are little days. These are not ages like some people like to conjecture or project falsely and incorrectly, I would say. But they're literal days. God made the universe in six literal days. We need to understand that because that's his revelation to us. And that's what true science supports as well. In these six days, it begins with light and darkness where God draws a distinction. And, you know, throughout the Bible, there's a distinction. And God drew this distinction. And on this distinction the first day, it's interesting because in the Gospel of John, it says, you know, in the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. And, the, and uh, all things, nothing was made that was made was not made without him. And that he is the light, in him is light, and him is the light of men. That's the life of men. It's very interesting that when Jesus Christ came to the world in the gospel record of John, it starts out almost identical to Genesis. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, the Word was God. And that's how John's gospel starts out in the New Testament, in the New Covenant, running parallel to this first day of creation of light and darkness and distinction. And in the gospel of John, it draws the distinction between not physical light and darkness, but moral light and darkness, where it goes on to say that In John chapter 3, Jesus said, men love darkness so they don't come to the light lest their deeds be exposed. And so we understand that it sheds light on interpreting these first few verses of the first day of creation because this is literal light and darkness being separated in time, space, and matter, our universe as we understand it. 
but there's a greater representation there of the moral light and darkness in volitional will and choices of not only angels from a previous and outside dimension, but humanity who's the crown jewel of this dimension. The second day of creation was the separation of the waters, the firmaments, the heavens, the atmospheric stuff. That's uh, through verse 8. Then the third day of creation was the land from the water, verses 9 through 11. We see that God testifies there that everything he made was good. God saw that it was good. And then in the fourth day of creation was the heavens, the sun, the moon, the stars. And you might say, well, well, what was the light for three days since God made light and darkness? God is the light. God is light and there's no darkness at all. When we get to heaven, a new heaven and the earth, there's no sun because his presence is the light. He's the light that's the greatest light. And even as the sun was the greater light for the day and the moon the lesser light for the nighttime, it's pretty symbolic of the church because Jesus is the greater light. He said, I'm the light of the world. And he said, we're the light of the world. And as the moon reflects the sun, it's the same thing that we are because we are his light. Literally, that's what Jesus said. The sun, the moon, and all the stars. So everything out there in outer space, the macro universe, as the universe is expanding and losing energy, and we'll get more of that in Genesis 3, but all the macro to the microscopic world, all this order and design, but particularly on the fourth day, the universe and the supernovas and black stars, just black holes and all these things, our sun, and just it's incredible what God made. So from looking at a microscope, what God made in the microscopic world to the outer, who knows, maybe just goes on and on linear, but the Lord knows we don't. Then the fifth day was the, was the birds and the sea creatures. So that's verses 20 through 23 on the fifth day. And again, God said everything was good and he blessed them. And so the evening and the morning was the fifth day. Now, then in verse 24, we get part one of day six. That's the insect world, mammals, reptiles, everything all made the first part of the day. So God made all these on the first part of the day. And he spoke these things into existence. And this is a distinction of humanity, men and women, because in verse 26, we read, God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. So the the last thing God made in creating the universe was you and I, humanity, our father, Adam, who's the head of our race, and Eve, who came from Adam, who's the head of the female portion of our race. And they're the first two human beings by design and order. And God actually formed them. He formed. He made them. He spoke the other, all other creation existence. So when you look at the animal kingdom, reptiles, again, mammals, dinosaurs, all of it, everything, he spoke those things into existence, but they do not have the capacity, the cognitive capacity to know God, to respond to God volitionally, volitionally to his will and to worship him and obey him. That is for men and women because he says here in verse 26 that we are made in his image. And we read on in verse 26, for now verse by verse. Then God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, over the cattle, over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, male and female, he created them. And then God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. Have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, See, I have given you every herb that yields seed, which is on the face of all the earth. Every tree whose fruit yields seed to you it shall be for food. Also to every beast of the earth, to every bird of the air, and to everything that creeps on the earth in which there is life, I have given every green herb for food. And it was so. And then God saw everything he had made, and indeed it was very good. So the evening and the morning 
were the sixth day. These first two chapters of Genesis as well are the most beautiful chapters in the Bible in one sense because there's no sin. There's no effect of sin. The universe isn't dying and under entropy, the law of entropy at this point. There's no viruses in the cellular structure on our planet. There's no death. Death has not entered in. There is no death on the planet in these first two chapters. Everything is good, and God is life and light. So death is not to be associated with God other than him giving his son to die for us, to redeem us from the death our head of the race Adam brought on all of us when he sinned. For in Adam all sin and all die. Okay, so this is really important to understand historically, accurately, and theologically because Adam is the head of the race and sin came through him. So this is all good. Now, the last two chapters of Revelation of the Bible are very good too because it's a restoration. When we think about what was lost in the garden when sin comes in, we'll cover more of this when we get to chapter 3, but what was lost, it was a perfection, a perfect man and a perfect woman without sin where their choices were all the right choices. And they were eating from the tree of life, which was the right choice with the Lord. And they were staying away from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, which was the choice of rejection and rebellion that we all understand in our own lives in science of observing humanity. And they are making the right choices. Well, in the last two chapters of the Bible, the tree of life is restored. Everything's made whole and restored. But what's interesting, if you think about this, and this is something to put over creation as we're studying creation, is that when Jesus comes back a second time, he restores all things. There's the millennial reign of Christ, and then there's the new heaven and new earth. And how it all plays out, people have disputes over. But this much we know, when it's all said and done, there's no more tears and sorrow. So sin and its consequences are removed, and there's a new heaven and a new earth, and it's the place of God's presence, and it's, it's the place of it's heaven. It's the assembly of the righteous redeemed by Jesus Christ through faith in him. What we might think is we might say, oh, so what's lost in this first chapter is restored, but that's not really the right perspective. You see, God taught me this a couple of years ago when we drove across country. I had a tragic accident outside Flagstaff where we hit a deer. It was a horrible experience. And our car was so damaged, and that's not why it was horrible. It was horrible because it's just a horrible experience. But our car, we drove across country. It was all, it was just so destroyed. And everyone went, people were like, you hit a deer. And then we got to Florida. We couldn't drive it home, and we had to send it back. And it went to a, repla- a repair place here in Huntington Beach over there off Gothard. And the repair bill for AAA was over six grand to restore our Highlander. And when we got our Highlander, it looked like the original, you know, our Highlander is a, you know, it's a newer model. And when we got the Highlander, it looked like, wow, man, it, you know, it looked, it looked like it never had all the damage that it had. But it did have the damage, and it was repaired. And that's not what God's going to do with the new heaven and new earth. He doesn't repair a damaged Highlander and make it look good from a body shop. He gives us a new heaven and a new earth that's better than the old one. And that's something that we receive by faith. So as good as this is, a naked man, a naked woman without shame in a perfect marital situation with God, as beautiful as this is, oh, what's coming is better. It's elevated. Because even Jesus said, have you not read? And then he talked about how in heaven they're like angels and he exalts that as being higher than the human experience in these earthly bodies, these temporal bodies, these corruptible bodies, these mortal bodies. It's a higher as beautiful as this is, isn't this a beautiful chapter? Because you know there's chapters you don't like in the Bible. I mean, there's just chapters I don't like. There's chapters where God has to deal out judgment, and his judgment's righteous and perfect. 
There's chapters where people do very evil things. And you almost can't even believe it's in the Bible, except what my pastor, Brian Broderson, taught me years ago is the Bible is brutally honest about the human experience. And there are some very brutally honest, evil things that are recorded for us in the historical record of the Bible that I just, I try and read them quickly. I just don't like to read some of the evil things that people did in the Bible. But this chapter, it's a beautiful chapter because everything's good. Everything is good. Everything is good in this chapter. Now, we know Jesus is the Lamb of God slain from before the foundation of the world. So before this even began, he's already set apart as the Lamb of God. But it's, it's all good. He's like the safety net. He's like the bullpen for humanity. He's going to come in and save the day. But right here, it's all good. And there's only a few chapters where it's all good. There's a new heaven and earth, new earth coming. And this is the dawn of creation. And this is God's record. So now, let's look at some things here. This is the origin of time, space, and matter, which we exist in. We're in time, we are in space, and we are matter. Although from the dust we came and the dust will return, which is the consequence of sin in the sense of the breakdown molecularly of our bodies and whatnot. But this is the history of creation. So in the beginning, now we all have a beginning. You had a beginning when you were a single cell in your mother's womb at conception. And man can try and manipulate how conception takes place, right? Through modern science and whatnot. That's for God to figure out. But in the beginning, when God designed the universe and did the six days, the intelligence in the cells of plants, animals, and humans is absolutely incredible. And in your beginning, you did not exist before your conception. But at conception, you existed. Because in that one cell that is you, it's only you. And all the millions of details of the DNA that makes up you, who you are, that's just you. You're you. And as David said in Psalm 139, you are fearfully and wonderfully made. And there's no one like you. Now, when Paul preached to the Athenians, he said, God determined our days and seasons when we would live and our Boundary. So God literally knew the ethnicities of which of the three sons of Noah we would come from as descendants, but all of us ultimately through Adam, but one of the three sons of Noah and those families we come from. And that one cell was all there. Your gender was determined in that one cell. Your, your color of your eyes, and each cell just reproduced. It's incredible, the master of the universe, like the master watchmaker, how each cell just reproduced and reproduced, and we study the life of a baby in the womb in the first trimester, the second and the third. It's incredible what's going on and the design and order there that's just so, it's unbelievable, just the details. But you have a beginning, and on that beginning, God not only made you who you are as one cell, But within that cell, he gave you the reproductive capabilities to produce additional human beings, which is amazing. Not only in the one cell is the design and order there to produce the one human being from that one cell, but within that one cell is the the intelligence and design that that human being can produce future human beings from what's in the one cell of who the cell is. That's our God, the God of details. No wonder Jesus could say that he knows the hairs on our head. And when the sparrow falls to the ground, he's not unaware of it, but he knows the details. When speaking to Job and other places of the the constellations and the planets, he just said, were you there when I formed this and I formed that? When he promised Abraham promises to bless him, he said, look at the stars. And like every detail of his universe in time, space, and matter comes from this beginning. 
But all of this time, space, and matter is really focused on you, humanity, you and I. All this was made by God, all that we see, so that he could show love to us and we could be the recipients of that love and we could return that love, that we could reciprocate that love to him. Isn't that amazing? Because you might lose that in this record. It is love because God is love in his essence that brought this to pass. Now, so in the beginning, you have a beginning. This church had a beginning. Our country had a beginning. This universe, time, space, and matter had a beginning, and this is that beginning. Now, there's only two possible worldviews to have on a beginning. Either God began, just like he says here, outside of our dimension, or as the Darwinists believe, that out of nothing came everything from a big bang and out of disorder somehow through mutating elements over enough time and they had to keep adding millions of years in the last hundreds of years to their theories which most of them don't even agree on that out of that disorder comes order and there's an upward movement of course known as evolution but know this if you study ancient civilizations and how's this for archaeological evidence if you study ancient civilizations you won't find one that has the so-called Darwin chart, progressive evolution, that we were force-fed in our books going through high school in the 70s. What you will find in almost every historical people group is the belief in one person being the head of the race. And you will also find the belief that there was a flood of some sort of judgment upon their people group. And you will also find drawings with dragons. In almost every ancient people group, you will find the belief in a one-person origin, a judgment flood, local or large, and human beings with dragons, which dinosaurs were called until about 200 years ago, by the way. It's only in the last 200 years where these evil, demented men have put forth these damnable philosophies, atheistic, agnostic, Christ, God-rejecting men, whose theologies and philosophies have been used for the two greatest world wars and much of the totalitarian authoritarian governments we've seen in the last 150 years justified the eradication of various people groups. Those philosophies fit well if you want to wipe out people by the millions, whether you're fascist, Soviets, Bolsheviks, or Camarouge, or anything of the likes. Secular humanism embraces these beliefs because it justifies one set of human beings lording over another. Whereas the gospel of Jesus Christ elevates women, it elevates humanity. And don't forget, it's a belief from creationists who have brought all the great things in our society in this country. The hospitals, education, equal rights, all those things have been moved by people who understand the gospel, either U.S. citizens or British citizens, like William Wilberforce, who took down slavery, it was people who believed the biblical record of our origin and the, and the beginning of the universe that we're part of with time, space, and matter and the value of each human being in this universe of time, space, and matter by the God who spoke it into existence and then formed man and formed the woman from the man. There's only two worldviews. They both require faith, of course. But know this, in our biblical worldview, we have the Holy Spirit confirming the truth. 
We know that God's character doesn't allow for him being the author of death. So that's really easy to figure out that that's just never going to merge. So theistic evolution, which is trying to merge these worldviews, it dilutes the power of the church and it never convinces an atheist to be a believer. It's ridiculous. It might be conjured up by well-intending men, but it never produces good fruit. There is no current record whatsoever observable science of evolutionary theory in place on this planet. And there is no archaeological record of evolutionary theories in place on this planet. There, should, there are millions and millions of fossils, but you never see a dat and a cog. You see a dog or a cat. You never see anything. These demented men come up with one fossil and try and say that that's proof of evolution. There are millions of fossils, and they confirm that God made each thing after its own kind, and it was good. Do not be deceived by false doctrine. It takes more faith to believe that a rock came to life than that God who's outside the universe spoke it into existence. Much more faith. But either one requires faith because it's your origin, and your origin shapes your worldview. But please, in Jesus' name, do not make the mistake of trying to merge the two. It's one or the other. They are diametrically opposed to each other. They're as different as light and darkness. So don't be duped. First 11 chapters of Genesis, Genesis are the most attacked chapters of the Bible. Because the devil knows if you can undermine the foundation of creation, you don't need redemption in Jesus Christ. See, in Adam all sin and died, and Jesus came for sinners who are condemned in Adam. And in the genealogy of Jesus Christ through Luke's gospel, through the Virgin Mary, where does it end? It ends with Adam. Because he's the second Adam. So you see, if the biblical record that we just read here is not correct, then Christ didn't need to come and die for our sins. But in Adam, all sin and all die. Adam is the author of death in the universe. Adam brought chaos to the universe, and we're all affected by it. Thus, we all die. We're born spiritually dead. We are facing physical death. And without faith in Jesus Christ, we're headed for eternal death. In Adam, all sin and die. And that is why Christ came. That's why there's the promise in Genesis 3 of the Messiah to come, the first promise. And that's why Jesus went to the cross. There is no other way. The second Adam died for all those who are condemned with the first Adam, which is all humanity. This is really important because this last generation, critical thinking is lacking profoundly amongst the young people. Church is a fun, cool place with groovy things and fun songs and touchy-feely stuff. In the last days, there's a great falling away with a great deception with deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons. And of all the doctrines of demons, there's none more diabolical than trying to ascribe to our Heavenly Father the character of Darwinism. Because God is good, and in Him is no darkness at all. Death is darkness. And the belief systems of Darwinism are survival of the fittest, completely contrary to what we read in this chapter. So you can choose one or the other, and they both require faith, but I like the fruit that I see from people who choose Jesus Christ and the creator of the universe and the fruit of those people for the last 2,000 years in making this planet a better place, as opposed to the fruit of Darwinist evolutionists and the fruit they've produced with ideologies of governments that have just brought death and chaos upon this planet for the last 150 years. Plus, we have all the facts. Theirs is pseudoscience. Ours is real science. Don't be confused. And of course, most of you know that most of the founding fathers of all the critical sciences were all six-day creationists. The devils worked so hard to try and set this next generation up to think they got Jesus and they came from a lucky rock. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. Jesus is the necessary redeemer because we are born sinners through Adam, for in Adam all sin and die. 
Now, God, in the beginning, God exists outside time. Now, God is triune. We see this. This word God is Elohim. It's a Hebrew word meaning more than one within one. It's literally translated gods in other parts of the Bible, but the context makes it clear it's God. Now, there's like God Almighty, El Shaddai, and then there's Yahweh, the Lord, which is your uppercase L-O-R-D in your Bible. But here the word, the very first introduction of God in the Bible is this word Elohim as opposed to El, like El Shaddai, God Almighty, and the various other Els. God introduces himself to us in historical record in his triune nature. The second verse we see is the Holy Spirit hovering over the face of the earth. So the Holy Spirit, who brings people to faith in Jesus Christ, is mentioned distinct from Elohim in verse 1, in verse 2. Then we're told in verse 26, God speaking within himself, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. So again, this is, God's not talking to the angels. We're not made in the image of the angels. We're, we're made in the image of God. This is important to understand. Now, we just finished Colossians, and we saw in Colossians, all things are made by Christ and for Christ. In him all things consist and are held together. Nothing was made that was not made by Jesus Christ. You've been listening to the Worship Generation Radio Ministry with Pastor Joey Brand. If you would like more information about the ministry of Worship Generation, visit us online at www.worshipgeneration.com, where you can listen to the podcast of today's entire message. Worship Generation is located at 10350 Ellis Avenue in Fountain Valley, California. Our service times are Saturday evenings at 6 p.m. and Tuesdays at 7 p.m. And also follow Pastor Joey on Instagram under the tag name at Joey Brand. Thanks for listening and God bless. Not ashamed of the gospel. Not ashamed, not ashamed of the one I love. Not ashamed, not ashamed.